Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, what do we have to do to avoid a third wave? Is our shortage of vaccine contributing to that? Manitoba has gone it alone and decided to produce their own vaccine. And apparently some more provinces are going to follow suit. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. The Daytona 500 is this weekend. My dad will be spending his weekend rubbing and racing. Get up on the wheel. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. Did he do that from his closet? The heck was that? Come on, it's the 500. Get up on the wheel. No, uh, the Kurt man obviously uh, in school today, so um, I, I, I guess I didn't get the intro to him last night before he went to bed, which is when he can yell and scream, uh, and instead had to do it this morning uh, while his sister was sleeping on uh, in the next room. So uh, the ones you can tell the ones he does in the morning simply because they're a little quiet. Uh, good afternoon. It is 12-11. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson home show on the air as we wind up week number 48 and heading into a family day long weekend. Hasn't really the last 48 weeks been one giant family day long weekend? Uh, feel free to jump into the fun. Love to hear from you. Facebook and Twitter, you'll find the podcast edition of the commentary waiting for you there. And speaking of March break and the commentary, I was very surprised that, uh, that, uh, the provincial government decided to postpone, uh, uh, March break until, well, it's April break, uh, you know, April 12th, I believe it is. And, uh, you know what that does to me? It really drives home the point of uh, how concerned health officials are with uh, this, what could be a third wave. I know, don't you even hate thinking about that? And um, and, and new variants. Uh, let's get an update on all of this. Bring in Dr. Lauren Small, infectious disease specialist with Trillium Health Partners, and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, first thoughts on the extension of March break uh, by a month. Uh, that certainly does drive home the modeling, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, I, you know, I, um, I, I, I think overall um, it was a, uh, a logical and, and, and good move. Um, you know, I think um, students are, are going to be going back to school um, and having them, you know, go on March break so soon after going back to school actually probably makes more sense for them to stay in school for a little bit longer and get the get we know there's benefit in them actually you know having that that experience of being in school so i think you know for their own health mental health i think that that makes a lot of sense but from from a public health and infectious disease perspective it also makes sense um because um it does curtail the kind of opening up of things as as we did see in in the holiday period um and and leading into uh kind of the 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 real explosion of the second wave so i think it's going to provide some control uh, in that regard as well i remember prior to the holidays talking with many uh many such as yourself and they were saying you know what we're very concerned about a post-holiday surge and sure enough uh there it happened um you know i don't know can you compare holiday to holiday are you are you concerned obviously that uh you know with march break and and, and you know whether it's traveling around or just hanging out with more friends and family that that was going to lead to another surge that's certainly i guess what the modeling said how concerned were you or are you about that yeah i i mean it's so hard to predict but certainly yeah. anytime uh, things open up and, and, you know, we have more circulation in the community and more social interactions in the community, there's obviously going to be the opportunity uh, for things to, to kind of explode again. Uh, and I certainly think um, that, uh, that, that that is a risk. Um, and, you know, we're, we're in a situation right now where uh, the trends are 
cautiously optimistic. Um, we're certainly not out of this wave, and uh, and it's precarious. Um, and any pressure in the, in the wrong direction uh, is actually going to going to set us back quite quickly. Um, so, you know, I think anything that we can do to kind of curtail that or slow that is is uh, going to be helpful, especially you know considering we're opening up other areas, we're going to be opening up. Uh, local businesses more. So uh, if we have other controls in place, uh, like like the what we'll now call the, I guess, the April break, um, that may be helpful. Um, many have asked, and, 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 and rightly so, uh, why would you reopen? Why are all provinces starting to reopen if there is so much concern about uh, the third wave, about uh, March break, that sort of thing. Um, th- then why move forward with uh, opening up? Is the, is the answer just to keep, it, or keep the whole thing shut down? Yeah, you know, you, you look at it from an infection point of view. You know, the pu- public health involves so many things, and, and it, it's obviously not just about the infection. And certainly keeping everything closed, from an infection point of view, is going to decrease uh, the ability for for the virus to spread, and it's 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 going to reduce the numbers, you know. But I, I you know, when we when we look at making these decisions, well, I'm not making the decision, and then you know, there are a lot of people involved, and and obviously, they're weighing the risks and the benefits to society as a whole, and obviously, a lot of people are feeling it. And I, 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 you know, the the economy obviously has to be taken into account. And would I like to see everything remain closed and and not allow the the spread of the infection? Certainly, but obviously there's a, a pragmatic approach that has to be taken. Um, and um, you know, there's there's no great time to say, okay, now's the time to open up businesses. Um, and, and, you know, I think they're, like I said, they're taking it from a risk-benefit perspective, um, and we're in the situation now where we all are seeing improvement. So I think that's just the decision that, that has been made, and um, they're trying to protect uh, businesses, and I, I think that is a, a pragmatic approach, and there is something to it. But, yes, there is a risk in doing it. Um, obviously, vaccine supply has has been an issue. I think Canada, as of last night, uh, sitting at about thirty seventh as far as vaccinating uh, uh, the the percentages of their population. The longer we go without a vaccine, does that make these variants more of a concern? The longer we go, the more variants we're going to see. Yeah. So you know, the, the certainly the longer we go. Uh, we're going to see more cases, and 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 I think in terms of the variants right now, we are seeing, uh, in terms of the the different variants that we are seeing, the UK variant is certainly the predominant one, um, and we will probably see more of the UK variant. And because we don't have a critical mass of the population vaccinated, it's probably going to be a natural progression uh, that the UK variant. Uh, will become the predominant variant virus out there, and it, it may even overtake what we call the wild-type virus, the, 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 the virus, viral variant that we're currently dealing with. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, we are probably going to be seeing more of that. Now, whether that actually will directly lead to more cases because the variant is taking over, that remains to be seen. We may see increases in the virus in general because we don't have that critical mass of vaccination, because we are opening things up a little bit more. Uh, But it's going to be difficult to say whether that increase is going to be due to the variant directly or if we're just seeing the number of virus cases increasing and within that increase in viral cases, the variant becoming the more predominant one out there. Um, the direct link will, will it's going to be a little bit difficult to determine that going forward. 
Uh, how much does getting receiving the vaccine, getting people vaccinated, uh, play a role in stopping that third wave? Um, uh, will will it, when would vaccine have to arrive to stop a third wave? Yeah. So, you know, the the, the critical mass for vaccination is crucial. Um, I, I I doubt we would have that critical mass by the time we're in the position. Uh, to see a third wave, like I said, we're you know we're we're not out of the second wave yet, and we're in a very precarious situation. Um, it's easy for us to go uh, back into kind of uh, exponential rise of of virus uh, cases and and go into a third wave. And and I don't think we're going to have that critical mass of vaccination uh, yet um, to to curtail that. Um, so. You know, it, it remains to be seen. What what may happen is uh, we may see a third wave while we're reaching that critical mass of vaccination, or while the while the vaccination is really starting to roll out, uh, and we may see a third wave, but it won't be as explosive as the second wave was. So that's also a possibility. But I do think there's a really good likelihood that we will see. Um, a third wave. It's just really a matter of, of um, how significant it is and, and the number of cases um, and how severe the cases are. When we are in the midst of this third wave, will the rest of the world be experiencing that? Will they be coming down? The rest of, uh, obviously, G7, G20 countries, will they be leveling off by that as, as we're hitting the, 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 the third wave, considering they're farther ahead of us in vaccination? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a, a kind of a mixed bag. Um, you know, if we look at, at Israel, um, that was a bit of ahead of the curve in terms of vaccination, and we're seeing good numbers coming out of there. And, you know, so I think they're kind of in a position where um, they may see the third wave, but it's going to kind of be uh, a, a, a bump of a third wave rather than kind of that exponential explosion of a third wave. Um, and, I, and I do think that's largely, if you look around the world, that's largely going to be, uh, the, the, the main factor is largely going to be how far along uh, the population is in terms of, of vaccination. Um, and so uh, because of where we are in the vaccination process right now, um, depending on how things go, I, I, I think it, there is a possibility that our third wave uh, may, may actually be more significant. But again, uh, remains to be seen, and, and you know it depends on, on on when that third wave actually occurs. Uh, what advice do you have for uh, people that are listening right now? Uh, obviously, heading into a family day weekend, uh, March break's been postponed here in Ontario for a month or so. People feeling pretty uh, fatigued. W- what message do you have for us? Yeah, you know, so it's the same kind of messaging all along. Um, you know, there's, there's there's a bit of mixed messaging out there with things opening up, but but the 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 recommendations, the guidance, you know, to stay home, and and, and I still think that is that is the best advice. Um, you know, where possible, people should be spending time with uh, their direct household family members, uh, and and you know, not not kind of widening um, their their bubble. Um, yet um, it, it's still really precarious, and you know the, the long weekends coming, and, and, and people are going to be out there. Um, and um, you know, I would just caution people um, that um, it may not seem like much on an individual basis um, to kind of go out and start increasing your social uh, encounters, uh, but on a, on a population level, uh, two weeks from now. Um, that may have a really big impact. Dr. Lone, uh, Dr. Lauren Small with us, infectious disease specialist with Trillium Health Partners. Uh, doctor, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Have a great weekend. Be well. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. All right. Uh, you, you might remember uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, we had uh, the CEO of Providence Therapeutics on, and this was all, sta- this was all stemming from a report uh, that I believe uh, came out in regard to 
um, the government's uh, decision to start buying vaccine as opposed to producing vaccine. We, were, we remember uh, back in March and April, the Canadian government, when this all was first starting, uh, was working on a deal with CanSino out of China to produce vaccine. Uh, however, that deal fell apart because the Chinese Communist Party pulled the rug out from us on that. And by that time, it wasn't until late August when uh, the government started signing all these massive deals with all of these different companies for this large portfolio. Uh, at the time, uh, companies, and I don't think Province Therapeutics is the only one by any means, uh, had approached the government and said, hey, you know what, we've got a Canadian solution. I believe uh, this company was only a few weeks behind uh, the Pfizer's and the Moderna's of the world, and they were largely ignored. And the story broke uh, further, and we, we heard a Canadian uh, scientist who was working for the UK and their vaccine saying, no, they were in the same spot. Canada could have done this too, but instead they chose the CanSino deal and then when it fell through, were caught in a position of just purchasing as opposed to uh, production. And obviously we saw uh, uh, the UK go from zero to where they are now producing vaccine uh, in a very short period of time. And that was a decision that Canada chose not to make way back when, yet the Prime Minister will be, will, uh, be quick to point out to uh, uh, towards other prime ministers who let this industry escape from uh, uh, Canada and yet, on the other hand, uh, is doing the, the, the very same thing during the first year of this pandemic and then a week later announces a deal uh, with Novavax, a U.S. company, to uh, finally produce. And I believe as well coming out and saying Pfizer and Moderna said that we don't have the facilities here. Uh, that being said, uh, they've signed the deal with uh, Novavax. Now, fast forward to today, and the Manitoba Premier has announced uh, that it is, in fact, signed a deal with Providence Therapeutics uh, to produce their own. Uh, sort of go it alone or certainly uh, have your own safety net. Uh, and, and that has certainly r- raised a lot of questions and a lot of uh, eyebrows across the country as provinces start signing their own deals, uh, waiting for the government to bring in, the federal government to bring in the uh, portfolio of vaccines while variants continue to uh, spread. Here's what the prime minister had to say earlier today when he was asked uh, how he felt about uh, what was happening in Manitoba and whether that was political or not. Uh, but the fact that they had uh, gone it alone and uh, are going to go it alone as well as, uh, as an option and produce their own uh, vaccine. I think all, all Canadians want to uh, see us all doing everything we can to get uh, everyone vaccinated as quickly as possible. Uh, I can tell you that the federal government has uh, secured and paid for enough vaccines to get all Canadians who want it vaccinated by uh, this September, uh, including uh, the entire population of Manitoba. So um, I don't think he answered the question there. Let's bring in Brad Sorensen, CEO of Providence Therapeutics. Brad, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Uh, thank you for having me. My goodness, this is, uh, we almost need a program to follow all of this, Brad. Uh, we remember talking to you, uh, a little earlier on about all of this. Uh, you, you certainly heard my preamble. Uh, is that, is that story, was that accurate of what has happened in, in, in your experience, uh, with the federal government earlier on in this pandemic? Uh, look, I'm, at this point in time, my focus is, is, is working with the premiers and, and uh, ensuring that we've we have the ability to roll out vaccines here in Canada, that we've got a security supply as as variants uh, emerge. Um, if the federal government is able to deliver vaccines uh, this year uh, from international suppliers and get Canadians vaccinated before our vaccine is produced, I would welcome that. That would get us to back to normal sooner. And uh, and the vaccines that we produce would then be uh, resold into the international community, which certainly there is there's no shortage of demand out there. Um, uh, what can you tell us about the deal with Manitoba? What, what exactly are you doing for them? Uh, exactly as it sounds. We're making two million doses of vaccine for them. It's an mRNA vaccine that we are in clinical trials. We have. Uh, we have an excellent vaccine. All our preclinical, preclinical data is, is comparable to Moderna and Pfizer. And uh, we anticipate finishing our clinical trials in September. 
uh, making application to Health Canada for emergency use authorization. We expect that they will do a proper and fulsome review, and hopefully we'll have that uh, approval uh, in uh, October or November of this year. And those vaccines will be already made and waiting uh, to go into the arms of anybody who needs them uh, when that approval comes. Uh, and any idea when that would be? Just, you know, obviously you, you have no crystal ball here, but uh, what's the game plan? So, so what we control as a company is we can control the manufacturing. We can make the vaccines. Um, we can make up to 50 million doses of vaccine in Canada this year. We can control that and we can do that. Um, we've demonstrated to Manitoba sufficiently uh, when they were doing their due diligence that uh, they were prepared to, you know, sign a, an agreement with us that we can we can carry out what we've said we can do with making the vaccines. Um, we also can control our clinical trials. You know, we, we have a, a clinical pathway uh, that we are currently pursuing. Uh, we have a plan for phase two, phase three clinical trials to be run in Canada. These will be a comparator trial. It'll be about approximately 3,000 volunteers. Half of the volunteers will get our vaccine. Half of the volunteers will get a, a currently approved vaccine, uh, likely Moderna or Pfizer. And we will prove non-inferiority and we will go for emergency use authorization. This is in line with guidance that was recently given by the FDA and World Health Organization. So we're, we're very comfortable that uh, Canada Health Canada, which is highly regarded around the world as a regulatory institution, uh, will see the value in, in this in this clinical trial, and we can run that clinical trial and be completed by September. So those are the things that we can control in, in this worldwide pandemic. We can't control when a foreign country or a foreign company is going to send us vaccines. We can control how many we can make in Canada this year, and we can control that we are going to run the clinical trials. Um, and we trust that the Canadian government will do uh, at Health Canada will do their job within their control to evaluate that clinical trial and give us emergency use authorization if we demonstrate that we are, in fact, comparable to Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. Any reason, and excuse my ignorance here, uh, Brad, but any reason to believe that Health Canada will be slower to approve yours than other ones? No, no reason at all. I mean, and yeah. these, these are professionals. They're, I mean, they've got families. They want they want this pandemic to end as urgently as anybody else. There's, I don't believe that politics are going to enter into this. And, and quite frankly, I don't, I don't, I, I wouldn't say politics have entered into this at all. I mean, the, the Canadian government. Uh, you know, they, they followed a strategy of, of sourcing approved vaccines. Uh, I support that. If, if we can get Canadians vaccinated sooner, that's great. All I'm saying is that, as, as Premier uh, Pallister said, this is insurance. This is building Canadian industry. This is having a backup in case Plan A doesn't work. And it also gives us that resiliency for, for if we need future doses, future variants, you know, th this isn't in absence of what the federal government's doing. This is in addition to. But it's also more than insurance, Brad. It's also building an industry back. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, look, look at look what's. I mean, I, I don't know what price they're paying for the vaccines that are coming from Moderna and Pfizer. Uh, I, I'm certain it, it's it's not cheap, and all of that those dollars are flowing out of Canada. Uh, to other countries. We could be building that industry here in Canada and we could be exporting and, and bringing dollars back into the Canada and growing jobs and, and growing opportunity for Canadians. And that's, that's, that's really what I'm trying to do. And I'm getting a lot of response from the premiers across, across Canada. So, I'm, you know, I, I believe, I believe that the message is resonating. Uh, that was my next question was, have you talked to other provinces about this? Uh, will there be any other announcements in the future? Uh, I, I do believe we'll have some announcements in the coming days, yes. And how long has this been in the works? Uh, our vaccine or, or the strategy with the premiers? Uh, answer both, please. That'd be great. Well, we designed our vaccine in, in March of 2020. 
and and we've been uh, moving the vaccine forward uh, through developments uh, since then. And again, we entered clinical trials. So, you know, we've we've performed as a company. We've we've done everything that we said we could do, and uh, and we're going to continue to execute. I remember you saying. I remember you saying when we chatted the first time that you're only four to six weeks behind where the Modernas of the world are uh, at the time. Back in March, how far behind are we now? Or will you know by the time you, your plant and everything comes to fruition and, and uh, vaccine is being jabbed in arms? I guess that's a, a, a hypothetical question because we don't know about approval. But 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 just to talk about how that timeline has has widened a bit. Well, Moderna, Moderna got approved at the end of last year. And we're looking to receive our approval at the end of this year. So we lost a year. You know, if, if you're thinking it from an international competition, we lost a year. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not what's important. What's important is, are, are we going to learn from our mistakes? And are we going to, you know, with the knowledge that we have now, uh, knowing that mRNA is, is the superior technology in dealing with this pandemic, are we going to learn from those, the, those earlier experiences and make better decisions. And, and that's all I'm pushing for. I'm not, I'm not trying to litigate what happened in mm-hmm. the past. I'm trying to say, what are we going to do now going forward? And, and you know, when I approached the, the federal government, I, did, I didn't get a response. I, I'm still hoping they'll respond. Um, you know, but the premier started responding. And so you know, all I can do is talk to the people that will talk with me. So uh, you were pretty much talking to the other provinces uh, after you were you, you tried to make contact with the federal government. So this has been going on for a while. Um, it, 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 I mean, it's on our website. You can see the open letter that we sent to the federal government. Um, I let that process play uh, before I began discussions. You know, uh, it was it was when I did my press release. Um, you know, I, I sent the open letter. I waited a week. I didn't get a response. I, I believed it was urgent, so I did a press release and I said I am going to I'm now going to talk directly to the premiers, and that's when I started the process. And you can see how quickly the process happened when that started. Um, obviously, we've seen what has happened when uh, we have let this industry slip away. Uh, obviously, you're with Providence Therapeutics, uh, but talk about this industry as a whole in Canada. Uh, are there other companies like you that are that are in similar situations? Is this? Do you see this industry growing now within our country? Oh, oh certainly. And I mean, there's other. You know, we got Entos in Alberta. There's another company in Saskatchewan that's received support from the Saskatchewan government. Um, you know, there's companies you know, all across Canada, and and and, and this isn't a this isn't Providence centric. I mean, we believe that you know, messenger RNA is 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 a, a, an exceptional technology, and you know, obviously we're advocating for our company, um, but you know, hopefully we're driving a larger discussion. To, to start taking a look at what can we do when, when crisis comes to to solve and contribute to the solution as opposed to as opposed to just trying to buy our way up a, a queue in line and send money abroad. And we should also point out, as we did the first time we chatted, this is that new type, of, that mRNA vaccine that the that Pfizer and and Moderna are working on. This was cutting edge technology, or is sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, at the end of the day. 95% is better than 89. It's better than 67. It's better than nobody. No other technology has had 95% su- success rate other than the two mRNA drugs. Uh, no other technology was as fast as the two mRNA drugs. There's a reason why those are the only two vaccines approved in Canada. It's because it was the superior technology proven in a worldwide race. We have that technology in Canada. We now have that information. And what are we going to do with that information? Wow. Uh, will we know more on this or we will we hear more about all of this, Brad, in the next week or two? You were talking about future future announcements. Yeah, I, I suspect, unfortunately, I'm going to be doing a lot of this uh, over the next number of weeks. But I mean, at the end of the day, we have we're, we're in a really good position as a country. And this just isn't Providence. Providence is in partnerships with a lot of fantastic companies across 
uh, across Canada. You know, Genovant in, in, in British Columbia, Northern RNA in Calgary, uh, uh, Emergent in, in Manitoba, uh, MANA Research in, in, in Ontario. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Like, this, this isn't just Providence. This is Providence with hundreds of other participating uh, excellent employees at these other companies that are all all contributing to this to this work. Brad, uh, that certainly is positive news. Uh, is this resonating with Canadians? When we chatted the first time, it didn't see. It seemed that this story was falling on deaf ears. Obviously, it's gaining traction. Yeah, and, and I have to thank you know uh, Premier Pallister for elevating the discussion. Um, you know, I have to I have to give credit where credit's due. He took the initiative, and he 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 allowed us to have this dialogue, and I think it's an important dialogue. So you know, kudos. Wow, uh, this is quite a developing story. Brad Sorensen with us, CEO of Providence Therapeutics. Brad, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Good luck in all of this. Uh, we're all behind you. All right, thank you so much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Here is today's daily commentary. Wow, I was not expecting Education Minister Stephen Lecce to announce that schools will be postponing March break a month this year until April 12th, making it April break. With this announcement, Conservative Premier Doug Ford is sounding more and more like a liberal government with each passing day as he leads Ontario through this global pandemic without a consistent supply of life-saving vaccine, as with all the provinces. This drastic measure caught many by surprise and is a blast of reality of how bad the new variants are and along with new modeling forecast a very dark scenario by April if we congregate over March break like we did over the Christmas holidays which resulted in a surge spike that shut everything down. The hope is the COVID-19 vaccine Prime Minister Justin Trudeau constantly promises will finally arrive, preventing what could be a third wave that is more drastic than the first or second. The reality is the longer Canada waits for vaccine to arrive, the more chance of a third wave while variants mutate and rapidly spread. A frightening thought considering Ontarians have worked so hard to bring new cases down for weeks now hoping we would have been well on our way to vaccinating more citizens by now. Not the case. So until then, be well, stay safe. I'm Scott Thompson. Let's bring in Tim Powers, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data. And with us now, Tim, how are you on this Friday before a family day long weekend? I'm okay. I hear you. You got snow there in Hamilton, Scott. Poor Will had to fight his way into the station to make it work. I hope you're going to get him a nice Valentine's Day gift for all the love and affection he brings to this program. If I give my wife's Valentine's present to him, I'm dead. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) But boy, there's the gentle reminder to everyone uh, on this uh, Family Day uh, long weekend is also Valentine's Day. You know, I had a little campaign that maybe we should postpone it just simply because of things. But no, you don't agree with that, Tim? I've never been a big fan of Valentine's, Scott, but uh, and we don't have enough time to talk about why. But look, <laughs> speaking of postponement, I think you're just into your segue, because you know i got to get my Newfoundland and Labrador in. How about our province and our election being cut in half yeah. and delayed because of COVID? These, this is another odd reality so you know what? of Let, our time. Let's start there, because you, you've got the inside edge there. So give us a quick capsulation of what's happening there. So when the election the election was called four weeks ago, um, there were virtually no cases of COVID in Newfoundland and Labrador, weeks without any, zero, zero. And as you well know, they've been very proud of that at home. This week and um, a number of, of COVID, there appears to have been a COVID outbreak among a bunch of um, different sports teams. Now, as of yesterday, uh, Newfoundland was reporting an almost Ottawa-like number of 100 hundred cases of COVID that were detected. If there were 100 in, in the Peel region, 100 in Toronto, that would be a good day. In Newfoundland and Labrador, that's a bad day because their benchmark yeah. has been zero. So with the election coming tomorrow, 
the pressure came on the chief uh, electoral officer of Newfoundland and Labrador to delay the vote uh, in 18 ridings. Uh, and those are the 18 ridings in and around St. John's where the outbreak is. There still will be 22 ridings, 40 in total in Newfoundland. 22 will be voting tomorrow. 18 have been suspended. Not sure when they will return. So the election is in a state of suspended animation, which only makes the political lore of our province better. But the reality, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's a very, very frustrating thing on so many levels for many people. The premier, Dr. Fury, who was widely expected to get re to get get reelected, probably still will. But there's a lot of anger because in Newfoundland and Labrador, because we've been at zero for so long, there's a real um, deep fear that high numbers mean a real significant threat to life. And you're seeing that play out now in the debates at home. So Hmm. uh, another twist for COVID and uh, a lesson maybe for Justin Trudeau, who may be looking at a spring election. What could happen if COVID comes back in force in different areas? And we talked about that in the past as well, Tim, with other uh, jurisdictions, other provinces that managed to squeak in elections uh, between the first and second wave. We saw the prime minister, uh, you know, uh, aim for a throne speech, and then all of a sudden the second wave came in. On that note that you brought up, uh, there was certainly an article in the Toronto Star this week about how there is a timeline, and the prime minister is is pushing all of this to come to a head as soon as, um, you know, all of those vaccines arrive on the doorstep and everybody's happy he's going to call an election. Do you see that happening? Well, look at today's announcement, Scott. What a shock. We're going to get more vaccines sooner than we thought. Is this a replay of what you and I talked about just before Christmas when there was lots of hysteria that vaccines weren't going to come? Yeah, look, I still think he's marching towards a spring election, but he will be governed. He has to be governed by what's happening here where you and I are in Ontario, what's happening in Quebec and Alberta. If we're in a third wave um, I, I, at that time, I, I don't think he can he can go to it. But if we're in and around where we are now, if vaccinations have started to roll out, then I suspect he will go that way. And we saw another sign of that this week, too, of the setting of the stage and has an impact on you, the, the transit announcement, right? Um, yeah, and yeah. Lots of praise from, uh, from mayors on all of that. So he still hasn't dropped the idea that there will be a spring election, but it is still very much COVID dependent. Obviously, right now, uh, um, people are upset. You know, we're 37th in the world when it comes to vaccination. Lots coming in, but not now. And the, and the problem is, is those variants spread and, and become complicated the longer we wait with a, without a vaccine. If all, and I believe I may have asked you this already, uh, earlier on, but if all of a sudden all of these vaccines come in in the spring at the end of, at the end of March, but still that's six million. I mean, you know, Ontario needs 10 million in order to have herd immunity. Uh, and then you multiply that by two in order to get the two shots. That's still not very much. If all of these vaccines come in by spring, is that enough to make Canadians forget about how on February 12th we're in 37th place? Could be. And that's certainly the prime minister's gamble, right? Um, we talked when the pandemic began about the injustice in long-term care homes. That's kind of fallen off the radar for the broader public, not for people who have a family in long-term care homes. We talked about the problem with testing, fallen off the radar. Um, there seems to be these pressure points. If people are getting vaccinated, uh, the spring is coming, the sun's out, things are returning to normal. You can be damn sure he will try and claim credit for all of that, and there may be no payback or very limited payback. That's what they're calculating. All right. Today, uh, the uh, Premier of Manitoba announces a deal with uh, uh, with uh, the company out of uh, out of yeah, uh, Calgary, uh, Providence Therapeutics. We talked about yep. them a few weeks ago uh, when the situation came out about the UK and such. They've got a deal inked. They're going to be pumping this stuff out by the end of the year, pending approval. Your thoughts on provinces uh, going this route? And from what the CEO said, uh, there's going to be a few more of these announcements made. Uh, you know, the Pallister's thinking about his own politics, so the Manitoba Premier. Um, you, know, you probably see more Premiers do this. You've seen a clear pattern, as you know, where the Conservative Premiers have been, and there are more of them at the moment. There are only two Liberal Premiers, Premier Fury and Premier McNeil, uh, soon to be Premier Rankin in Nova Scotia. 
uh, who've had uh, who've had uh, different views when it comes to the government. So Pallister's moving that way. Whether it will again make any real difference, or if it's just another one of these announcements that politicians are making to bring comfort, does it put um, the vaccine in people's arms faster? I don't think Providence is approved yet, so it doesn't do that yet. That being said, uh, the Prime Minister has long said it was past Prime Ministers who let this industry fall out of Canada. Uh, It's great to be banging on doors for vaccines, but should we not be doing this? They said they could have been doing this a year ago. Uh, Shouldn't we be concentrating on what's next and at least building up our own production? So, you know, I mean, this isn't going to be over as soon as all all of Canadians are vaccinated here. We're going to need to rebuild this industry back. Are we focusing enough on that? Because it appears the prov- the provinces are doing more than the feds are on that. Yeah, for sure, and there should be uh, uh, some focus on all that. We we look. This is again the worry of all of this. We're being told certain things about how uh, it's because vaccine production has left has uh, gone offshore that it's had an impact on us. Is that actually true? I mean, we need to get to the bottom of all of this when we're all said and done, when we're past the emotions, because there's billions of Canadian dollars that are floating out there. I do work in the PPE industry and um, you know, you, you talk to some of the long-standing uh, players in the PPE, PPE industry, Scott, and they will tell you that the global supply chain has actually worked. Um, and their, their worry is, you know, you're going to start to spend money to create a domestic base manufacturing that you don't need. So before we start spending money and making announcements and playing off our emotional vulnerabilities for the long term, let's find out what worked and what didn't work. Um, And that's uh, vital here because it's our money at the end of the day and our health at the end of the day. So we should know the best processes. I would 100% agree with everything that you just said there, Tim. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of countries that are way ahead of us and may avoid a third wave because of their ability to get on vaccine quick enough. And again, um, when you see other countries that are far, far ahead of us on all of this, um, my goodness, shouldn't be more of an effort be made to be more self-sufficient? I don't think Canadians are going to buy uh, the fact that, um, you know, being 37th right now, but, you know, we're going to be fine by September. It could be a lot of people that pass away by then, not to mention what happens with the economy as Ontario continues to be held down. I agree on a greater self-sufficiency, but I think the answer is, did we just do the wrong deals too, right? And which has been a subject of conversation in the House. So before we reindustrialize all of Canada when we maybe don't yeah. need to, let's get the answer. Maybe we do. Maybe we need more factories. I'm sure a few uh, w- would certainly. Again, I'm just sense. going. I'm just going through yep. what the, you know. I'm just going off of yeah, what yep. the prime minister has said, and, and and that is initially that we couldn't produce them when clearly we could. The technology's here. Yep. We just need some support in that industry. And you know, it appears we've spent more time catering to the generic drug industry and bringing prices down than yep. we have uh, attracting these companies that the prime minister speaks of. Yeah, and then there's a whole other element to that, right? Attracting intellectual capital that comes with these companies and the innovation and the research, and that is certainly something we should look at. I my, again, my, my concern with all of this is um, it was rash rash decision making, arguably that saw the pub the demise of public health investment in Canada, and not good forward thinking about the fact that the pandemic we are in now would have was going to become a reality, whether it was this one or some other one. So I'm just guarding. I think we have to guard against the rash politicking of the day too, and figure out what our smart strategic investments need to be. And that's the, where I'm heading with this one. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. All right, let's talk about uh, the opposition, specifically conservative uh, leader Aaron O'Toole coming out with uh, or, or at least expressing in an interview that uh, that the climate change program from the conservatives could cut greenhouse gas emiss- emissions faster uh, than liberals. And oddly enough, used a phrase I think we've used on this show a bazillion times and said, it ain't your grandfather's uh, conservative party. What does uh, what does Aaron O'Toole have to do to convince us all it ain't our granddad's conservative party? Uh, well, I, and some will want it to remain at Grandad's Conservative Party, and that's what he's got to strike a balance with, of course, too, right? Conservatives tend to have uh, not a, uh, 
entirely uh, all older voters, but there are different cohorts of the country where older voters um, of European descent tend to have great comfort with the Conservatives and have provided them with uh, strong bases in the West. But if he wants to win an election, he's got to start to appeal to more urban centers. He's got to do better in your hometown and around Hamilton and Halton and Peel and uh, places where conservatives need to to do better at least the rate used to have a spot in there but there aren't many conservatives around that way now and part of that is connecting with younger millennial voters and and other voters for whom dealing with in the climate change is is substantial and the conservatives got an f on that last time O'Toole seems to recognize they got to work there. There's been a lot of public polling that's been shared about conservatives. They're being so-called accessible voters to conservatives if they come up with something that is a legitimate climate plan. So where else would you talk about that? But in Vancouver, where uh, that 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 is arguably been a big issue, where there is already carbon pricing, where um, that certainly is a province influenced by. Uh, climate policy. So um, so I'm not surprised to hear this, uh, but I think the proof will be in the pudding. The Conservatives have a policy convention, Scott, in March. You know, great virtual home viewing. If you're sick of Netflix and Amazon Prime, flip it on and watch Conservatives <laughs> debate. Woo-hoo! Uh, where he, we might get to see some more of what Mr. O'Toole is talking about. Uh, is it really climate change where the conservatives have to change uh, uh, their position, change their image, change their their brand? Because that seems to be where uh, conservatives are getting hammered the most. Uh, obviously, the main issues for uh, the liberals, climate change, climate change, climate change, uh, human rights issues, human rights issues. We all know that we as Canadians, we all feel the same way. Um, but as with every election at the top, it's usually health care, uh, in this case, health care, security, vaccination, uh, jobs in the economy, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, are we going to see O'Toole come to the center, where, which is where I believe all the votes are? Uh, I think he'll be a lot closer to the center than Andrew Shear was, for certain. Uh, again, he's got to find a bit of a base and uh, manages the challenges that he could feel he may have to his base in the West if he goes you know, too far to the left from a Western perspective. But I think you've seen this also. The other thing he's foreshadowing is he's he's recognized he's been bitten a couple of times on trying to weigh in on pandemic critiques. He's talking about the economic plan for recovery. People aren't yet in that frame of mind, but I think he's going to try and carve out a space for himself and the conservatives there. There's lots of historical evidence to suggest conservatives presenting economic recovery plans at the right moment in history can be electorally successful, i.e. Mulroney and to a certain degree Harper after uh, 13 years of of, uh, the Liberals being in power. So I think that's where he's going to try and go into your first part of your question. Conservatives going to the center also means to show, as O'Toole I think has tried to do, that they are comfortable that the great societal debates of 30 years ago uh, on abortion, on gay marriage, on equality have been uh, that, that, that they are comfortable with uh, what modernity is, and I think he's trying to show that, but he still has work to do, as evidenced by all of the nonsense around Derek Sloan. Uh, how important is it that he move the party away from that? I mean, you know, the liberals have, have just been using that forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But that being said, the conservatives, you know, leave their shoelaces untied to, to be pulled at. So, um, like, or their you know, knuckles I, on the ground. Well, exactly. You can't guy. blame the liberals for attacking this. It's like, when the heck? Again, there's your grandfather's conservative party. Yeah, and I mean, he's trying to strike that balance. I I think, again, it's proof is in the pudding uh, and giving younger conservative leaders who are, you know, for whom these issues, these aren't issues. Same-sex marriage is not an issue. It shouldn't be an issue for whom uh, the right to choose is, is not an issue. It's it's decided. Uh, it's it's a part of our, our fabric and, and people's personal values and choice. Uh, I think he's got to showcase more of those people and then win on the, the the place where all conservatives tend to come together is on economic management. So he's got to have a robust economic management platform that can uh, keep people's interest and stay away as best he can from 
the contentious social issues that still are appeal to be for discussion for some older conservatives because you're not going to win in Toronto and Hamilton and Vancouver and Montreal if you're still talking about a rem- woman's right to choose in 2021. Mm. So when do you anticipate an election, Tim? Again, I think it's these COVID indicators. Um, I'm still thinking Trudeau's going to push for the spring. So what do I mean by spring as it's freezing here today, minus 30 or something with the wind chilled? Uh, Probably May, but again, COVID dependent. I think if Trudeau thinks he can get it, if COVID numbers, there's no third wave uh, of any significance in April, uh, I think he'll he'll look to try and push it in May May with a June vote. Tim Powers, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies, Managing Director, Abacus Data. Tim, as always, thank you so much for the time and insult, uh, insight and insult. Greatly appreciate it. Be don't well forget on this. those chocolates for Will and your wife, okay, that, Scott? That, I'll get and that you done. too. Back at you. All right, take All care. Right, Thanks, buddy. man. Take care. All right, time for our weekly message of hope. Let's bring in the Reverend Jim Carrier, Good Shepherd Church in St. Catharines. He is with us now. Jim, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. We are. How about you? So far, so good. How did you did you get your car fixed? Are you okay now? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The car's good fine. Work. Yeah, we got home the same day. <laughs> that's so that's we always good to know. <laughs> so, Jimmy, uh, your thoughts on uh, where we are? We're heading into a family day weekend. Obviously, uh, things still pretty much, uh, um, um, you know, restricted, much like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and all the rest. And oddly enough, Jim, you'll get a kick out of this. Um, I have all of the old show sheets that I've ever had dating back to, I don't know, these ones go back to like 2015, 2016. And as I get home, I put them in a stack on uh, in a shelf behind me. And as we started doing the show 48 weeks ago from home, I ran out of paper. So I started using this because the other side was always blank. And I started right. using them for notes. Well, now it's finished. And the last show sheet that I have, February 12th, today's date, 2020, one year ago. The wow. first topic at 1210, there has been a fall in cases, or sorry, there has been a new chatter of a new coronavirus called SARS-CoV-2. Dr. Isaac Bogosh, staff infection uh, disease expert at University of Toronto. And then uh, Liz has put points here. Uh, coronavirus refers to the family of viruses. SARS-2 is the name of the corona, uh, the virus at the center of the current outbreak. COVID-19 <laughs> is the name of the disease people are getting from the virus. One year ago today, Jim. That was the show sheet. It's kind of like looking back at your old school notes from university and going, you know, I can't believe I didn't know that then. But <laughs> like we've learned, we've learned so much about, about the disease. I mean, and, and even back then, I mean, we were just kind of walking into the dark, if you will. And we're still yeah. trying to figure things out as, as we go. Heck, but, back uh, then we didn't even know what to call it yet. Exactly. Exactly. We were still, we were still trying to figure out whether a pandemic was even the thing to call it. So, uh, but here we are, and uh, well, almost uh, well, like a, you know, a month short of of, of a year later, and uh, you know, of the pandemic and the lockdown and stuff, and here we are still uh, managing our way. We're 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 doing all right, you know, kind of thing, and taking things uh, things day by day. But it has been a while. Uh, the fatigue uh, we talked about that a bit last week. The fatigue has has set in. But I think one of the problems is like we got news today that uh, that Hamilton's in the in the red zone. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, what, and I was I was going to start I was going to start with that that uh, this is just breaking this afternoon that Hamilton is among several regions moving into the red zone on Tuesday. That means a lift in the stay-at-home order as of uh, February sixteenth, which is after Family Day. Yeah, yeah, uh, and here in Niagara, we're we're going back to the gray zone. Yeah, and uh, and we we you know we all have hopes and stuff, but. I think that one of the one of the difficulties for many people is that sort of um, that sort of in, insta- instability, if you will, that we feel unstable when we're always in a state of flux, and there's there's always this anticipation, and we're ne- we we never know what, what what to expect, and we still even know that this is not the final stage, and so something else is going to change, something else is going to be different, and and so I think even as we lock ourselves down at home and we'll gradually come out into the sunlight for some of us that there's still this sense of of instability this uh, this feeling of of uncertainty of what's next and and my encouragement i think uh, for people who may feel that way and i know i do at times is that 
you know, just make some some stability in your life. Make a routine in your life. Make a phone call once a day with someone. Plan your meals around a certain day. Try and keep as much routine in your day-to-day life as possible and continue to do that, uh, um, you know, as far as, far, uh, as we get into this. Uh, and I think that that sort of thing, that we can provide at least a sense of, of stability, a sense of regularity uh, in our lives if we kind of stick to the things that we plan and, and keep to them. And, you know, often when people uh, feel the anxiety, feel, uh, you know, the weight of depression during this time and such, sometimes it, it makes us uh, uh, retract. It isolates us. It, we, we don't reach out. And talk a bit about how important it is that, you know, to talk to someone else, because chances are they're feeling the exact same way you are. Yeah, yeah. Well, well uh, you know, when you talk about depression, I mean, that's, the, you know, that's, we're getting pretty serious then. And and a lot of uh, most depressed people wouldn't really describe themselves as being depressed or wouldn't even acknowledge that. So I think yeah. I think the importance, you know, of, uh, you know, f- for us uh, is that, you know, if you notice a change in behavior in someone, if you notice that they're calling less or they haven't called at all in a long time, if you if you just notice some changes in them, reach out to them. So if you think that somebody is ha- suffering from anxiety or something, somebody has has depression, it, you know, it, you should reach out to them because chances are pretty good they're not going to reach out to you because either A, their depression is preventing them from doing that, or B, they don't, they don't even recognize that they're in a state of distress. So it's important for us to watch out for one another that way, for watch out to watch out for our friends and family. And this is what I, you know, this is what we've been stressing is to keep in contact with people. And that's why, because if you don't, then you don't notice a change. So. So once we get talking about depression, it, it starts to get serious, and I think we should respond in a serious way as well and really reach out and make sure that people that we know and love get the help that they need. You know, my wife and I were talking about this uh, earlier on in the week, and it's almost like when you're putting on weight, which lots of us are during a pandemic. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, you don't realize it. You don't, uh-oh, ooh, boop, and then you go to put a pair of pants on or a certain whatever, and you're noticing it's a little tighter. And it's the same thing with this. You don't realize you're kind of slipping off track. And yeah. all you have to do is talk to another person or someone else, and, and you you know, it, it pulls you back. It pulls you back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the ways to diet properly, you know, when you talk about weight, is, is, is to do it with accountability, to have an accountability partner or to enter into a program and that you'll find success that way when you have, when you have that, that kind of relationship with people and, and some sort of accountability. And in that sense, like, I mean, there's accountability because, because week to week, day to day, we know the condition of the next person, the other person, we know what their goals are. We know what their behaviors are. And you're right. It's, it, it, you know, it's the same way uh, with depression and anxiety that, you know, if we, we are if we are accountable for one another to watch out for one another to to look for those signs and they're very simple signs like like they're calling less or there's you know even their tone of voice or or or, or all of a sudden the the things that used to interest them don't interest them anymore and those kinds of uh, kinds of behaviors are, are signs so uh, you know if we keep continual contact and continual accountability with one another you know that provides a bit of hope and, and you know that that we're taking care of each other and that we respond to one another when we're in trouble so family days this weekend, to which I think my kid, one of my kids said, "I think it's been family day all year, Dad." Uh, we've, we, it's been a constant family day, and I remember uh, a friend of mine who said, uh, jokingly, of course, uh, "You know, family wasn't made to spend this much time together." Uh, how do we balance the greatness of being so close to the people we love? And, and getting rid of the, you know, the things in life that distract us and, you know, staying sane. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, if, if Alicia's onto something there, then maybe family day should be spent with you guys in separate corners of the house just to get a break from one another. <laughs> family away from each other day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you know, I mean, we have to admit, right, like when we spend 24 hours a day with the same people all the time, it does get it does get uh, get a little it could get a little cumbersome if you will um uh but but you know again that, that you know i joke but but that is the solution is to spend you know even in the house you know if you're getting tired of one another to 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 spend some time apart if if that's not the case for you and you really want to make family day special then make it special play a game make a make you know make a special meal 
get some groceries in there, uh, you know, produce a, a feast that you, that, that you normally wouldn't, or, you know, like even like a turkey dinner that you would on, on a Christmas or Easter. Mm. Do something different, do something special together, something that really unites you, but not necessarily in the day-to-day sense. Just to do something that, that, that is just spectacular, whatever that may be for your family. And, you know, we were talking about this, too, like, um, you know, both my wife and I are just so blessed that, uh, you know, our daughter's home from first year university through all this. Uh, Kirk just went back to school. So, you know, it certainly does. I'm not sure the kids I'm not sure the kids will feel the same way about this, but we're going to look back at this and and, and really cherish the time that we did have together uh, over and above the tragedy of all of this. I think so. And I think for, you know, for folks, you know, for, for people like, like Alicia and Curtis who are, you know, at those formative years, if you will, like they're, they're going to carry that sort of, that, the, you know, the, the goodness of this out. They're going to remember the times that you guys spend every day together and they're going to remember the good stuff and the bad stuff about it. But I hope that that translates into a, a deeper, more bonding relationship with their own children, if that's what they go on to do, or, but even deeper relationships with their own friends and whatnot. Because we can, we can take that out of this, you know, and we can, you know, we're in this together. It's not always pretty. It's not always flowers and roses. Sometimes there's mud and there's rain, but we do get through it together. And, and even through the mud and rain, we're brought, we're brought closer together because we, we get through it together. We're, we're literally together and working our way through it. So. Well said. Uh, the Reverend Jim Carrier has been with us, Good Shepherd Church down in St. Catharines. Be sure to check out his Facebook page. Jim, as always, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy your family day. Be well. Say hi to the fam for us. Take care. All right. You too, Scott. God bless. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.